Good morning, church family. Glad to be with you. Thought I would just kick off this one with a bang, all right? We're just going right in. Is that all right? I want you to fill in the blank for me. Got a pretty challenging question, and you get to help me fill in the blank. And here's what it is. If I was to say this statement to you, how would you respond? That the primary crisis of the church today is... I mean, think about this for a second. We're kind of asking something similar last week. But if you had to define this, how would you define it? There's no right answer necessarily, but if you know what series we're in, you probably know kind of where I'm headed in a minute. Now that I got your brain fully engaged, hopefully, I'm gonna ask you to do me a favor. Let's all stand to our feet for the reading of scripture, and we're gonna read this together. Um, I used to apologize when I made people stand up after they sat down, but we're, the, the words of God are canonized in scripture and we have access to it. So I actually don't apologize anymore. I'm like, we get to stand in his presence and we get to be a part of his word. In light of that, would you read these verses in Luke chapter six, verse 39 and 40? Would you read these with me? One, two, three. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Lord, we thank you for your word. Put it deep in us today, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You take a seat. Um, well, if you, if you were here uh, last week, um, I'd love being with you. If not, like he said, my name is Carl, and I'm from Antioch in Waco, Texas, and excited to get to help be a part of this series for a few weeks. I promised you last week that I would introduce to you my family, so thought I would do so right now. Here's a little pic of our family taking the uh, quintessential beach picture. Um, that is me with the raccoon eyes, wearing my sunglasses, very <laughs> wide on the, as you can tell. Uh, my wife, Blair, we've been married for 25 years. We just crossed the 25-year mark. Uh, the very, very tan one in the back is Anna Lee. She showed up a week before us, so she was a lot more sunny uh, and tanning than we were. Uh, she's 23. She's actually served on our Antioch staff in Waco with the college. She's single, so uh, just thought I'd throw that out there. Um, that's my son, Jackson, who is a senior at Baylor, not single. And uh, I know, you're welcome to do that. That's okay. Um, hey, we beat Long Island yesterday. What a feat. Um, that's my daughter, Mary-Kate. Freshman at A&M, and so in the house with us today. And that's my daughter, Mackenzie, who is a, a junior in high school, our only child in the home, so a little wild season for us. Um, but anyway, so there is my family, love them dearly, and I would love to show you a picture of another group of people that are quickly becoming family to my wife and I, but we are not allowed to take phones or cameras into the prison that we go to on Tuesday nights. But I have something maybe even better I'd like to, uh, to show you um, in its place. This past December, um, I was invited to go to the Lane Murray uh, Women's Prison Unit, which is in Gatesville, Texas, not far from where I uh, live and uh, was, was deeply impacted by that night. I came home and told my wife um, about some of the stories of the ladies that I met. And Blair, being the true, true crime fanatic, um, was like, Carl, I actually know some of those stories. They're on Netflix, you know? And so just to show you, like, the stories are real. What these, if but if these ladies walked in the door and I took them out of their white jumpsuits, put them in normal clothes, you'd never know. You'd never know the, the weight, the pain, the crime that has weighed heavily on all of their shoulders. Anyway, but I just thought I'd take you into a little bit of what uh, it's like on these Tuesday nights. We walk in, we go to the very back of the campus, there's a little chapel there, 
and uh, we get in position, and then one by, then these ladies file in. When they come in, they have to go to the prison guard at the front, and they give them their badge, and she, they'll give, each will give their number. I'm 99653, I live in dorm K2. And then they go, and uh, they take a seat. And we, get through, we go through a few formalities and announcements and all these things, and next thing you know, they yell, roll call. The ladies have to stand back up. They have to go back through the line and do it all again. I'm 9963, I'm in dorm K2. And you see the wear and tear of becoming just a number. And that's who they are. They don't have names. So that's why one of the first things we do is we give them name tags. We actually have a guy that creates like nicknames for them and, and they love that. And honestly, I was a little unnerved my first time going. I didn't know what to expect. And if I have anything that I could offer or could, you know, I can't really feel like I can relate. And I just thought, I looked into their eyes and realized really what they're just looking for is looking for somebody to love them. This is about 60 to 70 women, and they're a part of something called a faith dorm, meaning due to their good behavior, they have been accepted into this program, and they've displayed some sort of desire for God or a higher power of some sort, and so they go through this program. Now, on this, so I went back, and I was here on my second night, and uh, I'm not, I'm, they don't even know my preacher, really. I'm just kind of there. I just kind of sit at the tables with the ladies, and they turn to the, um, and the, the leader gets up. And she says, well, graduation is coming up on Thursday. 10 of you are gonna graduate. And this is a bittersweet moment for them. Sweet because they've done a lot of assignments and a lot of inner work to get to this point. Bitter because they will leave the faith dorm, which is less chaotic and less sinful, and they will go back into general population in, until their uh, sentence expires or until they get out for parole. Some will spend the rest of their life there. And so the leaders really challenged them. I know this is gonna be difficult, but we've, we have talked about becoming disciples of Jesus here so that when you go back to the general population, your goal is to make disciples there. So that's what they're, they're doing. So they're gonna practice for their graduation ceremony like you did for your high school graduation or whatever. And so they're like, can I get the 10 ladies forward? These 10 ladies come forward. They give them a piece of poster board um, and they're writing on the poster board. But I don't know, is they're writing kind of their story before they met God on one side and who they are after God on the other. And they said, okay, well, we're just gonna practice and everybody gets to watch. And so I'm sitting about third row, right about there. And the music begins to play and there's no words whatsoever that are exchanged. Just one by one, these ladies start coming forward and they start showing their, their posters. At the end of the night, I ask if I could actually have them. And so they will come, they, the first lady came up and she showed her poster and it said broken, lost, drugs. And then she turned it over and it said joyful, save, God, sobriety. And then she just walked off to the side and she, she stood there. The next lady came up, said trafficked, witchcraft, cursed. It hung in the air and then rescued, chosen, happy, off to the side. Another, yet another one comes up, tainted, alone, lost, innocence taken. And then she flipped it to the other side, alive in God's loving hand. Yet another this was a tough one to read. Broken and suicidal. And a lot of other words I won't read because of the young ears here, but made strong. And look at that word, whole. And some beautiful descriptors that she had encountered as a result of, of finding Jesus. Many of the ladies will have dealt with self-harm both before and in the prison. Hated, unloved, helpless, sad, and ugly. Loved, cherished, 
beautiful and happy. Love that she drew a few stars there. A few more. One said, lost, a runaway child, mentally abused, drugs, prison, clubs. And then when she flipped it to reveal all these words, found, redeemed, loved, unconditional, prayer warrior, true to self, focused, mighty women of God. You just... You, could feel, you can feel what was going on in the room, can't you? Broken, lost, lonely, hopeless, scared. Anybody in here relate? Three words. <laughs> I am God's. Finally, one lady came up and said, ignorant, liar, sexually immoral, godless, and idolater. One word on the backside of that. Now again, I'm sitting on about the third row right here, just an absolute basket case. Like I am bawling. Plus they're playing Nicole C. Mullins' um, song, uh, My Redeemer Lives. Yes, thank you. And so there's like, I know my Redeemer. I'm like, I know, I know. You know, like I am, I am undone. And my only thought is, thank God I don't have to say anything tonight. I'm, I have nothing to share. I told you last week about one of my speechless moments. This is like speechless number two. Like I have nothing. And the leader walks up and says, looks like Carl is really visibly moved. Carl, would you please come to the front and say a few words? And I was like, I just had nothing. I'm, a, I'm just crying in front of everybody basically. And then I finally just got the words together. I said, that is, I've been preaching for about 35 years. That is the most beautiful sermon I have ever seen in my life. And I said, I, I don't know what to say. Ladies, maybe we could all go on the road together. Like I'll preach and then y'all come out and y'all do that. They were like, get us out of here. Let's go. You know, like some, someone yelled something about going to McDonald's. I was like, I'll take a McDonald's. Like, you know, whatever. We'll feed you. They were ready to go. It was, it was a, a very overwhelming moment for me. And I just left that night in awe of the power of the gospel. And people have been asking me since December why I'm doing prison ministry. Like, are you just not busy anymore? So you have, need to fill your nights up? And I'm like, I got a lot of reasons for this, guys. But I just say the same thing every time. If the, if, have you ever just thought about the gospel and the story? Have you ever shared the gospel with someone and heard yourself sharing it and thought, this is crazy? Look, look, if you looked at another person and said, hey, there's an invisible God. He loves you. He made two naked people in a garden. And then a snake came and had them eat some fruit. And then they got in trouble. And then we've all been getting in trouble ever since then. And then there's this God who is invisible. He's one, but he's actually three. He sent one of the three down to earth because you're not perfect. So he died on a cross and then he came back to life. He floated up to the clouds. He's coming back on a horse. Would you like to ask him into your heart? <laughs> so when someone looks back at me and is like, I don't know about this. I'm like, I know, I get it. It's kind of, you know, I get, I get it. It, it's, it. It's kind of hard to understand why. I mean, it's not hard to understand why someone wouldn't do it until you see it transform a human soul. And then when it transforms a human soul, something about that is undoing to me. So in Psalm 68, it says, a father, he's a father of the fatherless, a defender of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. He puts the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. If the gospel doesn't work in prison, it doesn't work. If it's just for like middle-class people who have like a college degree and want to be a little bit more moral, it's really not a gospel. It's just an inspirational hype speech that can help you do better after your Sunday coffee and lunch. 
it's got to come down to who has been deemed as society's worst and bring them into transformation. And I think watching this before my very eyes, just since December, it's not been very long, I've watched these ladies go from being labeled as criminals to becoming disciples. And when you look at those posters, I just wonder if you think to yourself, are we really any different than those ladies in the jumpsuits? Again, if you're here last week, we kicked off this series called Given about discipleship. If you've been in church a long time, you've heard sermons about discipleship, we often go right to how do you actually make disciples. We're gonna talk about that next week. But I feel like we need to spend a little bit more time about what it means for us to be apprentices of Jesus. Because as we said last week, if you have been a Christian for a long time, you've probably been asked a question along the lines of, you know, have you trusted Jesus Christ yet as your Lord and your Savior? And again, that's not a bad question in and of itself. But if we're not careful, then it kind of gets translated to this, like I'll put it up here for you. Have you trusted the arrangement Jesus has made in order for you to get to heaven? And the problem with this is you can trust the arrangement that Jesus made and never actually obey Jesus. So therefore you will take on the label of Christian and not necessarily ever become a disciple of Jesus. And so that's, but you know, that's actually not possible according to the first century disciples. They had an actual curriculum of Christ-likeness. They had a, a, a model that they followed. And this is what we looked at last week. All right, read the boxes with me. Top left first. Ready, go. With, go. Be with him. Learn his teachings. Do what he did. Go make disciples. This was their formula. This was their model. This is how they lived out their life. And this was an open invitation, as we said last week, to whoever wants to come. So the invitation was wide and broad, but the actual uh, requirements were pretty, uh, pretty intense and pretty uh, wild to give your life to. So therefore, transformation would have definitely been a byproduct. Matthew did not look the same after he had been with Jesus. John didn't look the same after he had been with Jesus. Everything changed. And again, we have to get this because I think that there's a slow drip message that we sometimes get in, in America in our gospel and that we hear in it, or our model. And our model basically is come to church on Sunday morning for 90 minutes of discipleship, hoping it corrects your six and a half days of non-discipleship. <laughs> but you will never find 90 minutes can overcome six and a half days of you asking Jesus to follow you around. It has to flip to where we are trying to figure out how can I be our around-the-clock disciple of Jesus, of Jesus, because otherwise it just doesn't work. Maybe the reason it worked for the disciples, maybe because they, the, they were living as disciples, but they also maybe operated off of a different gospel than just have you trusted the arrangement Jesus has made for you to get to heaven. Um, sadly, that actually um, can become, have you, you, know, you know, given yourself to just, the basic requirements. But again, think about the gospel. Let's actually just run through four of the gospels. What are the four gospels according to New Testament? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Just real quick, Matthew chapter six, verse 33. But seek first the what? And his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Flip over to Mark chapter one, verse 14 and 15. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The what? is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Luke comes along and he called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases and he sent them out to proclaim the and to heal. Then John, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in this famous moment and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see 
the kingdom of God. Do you see a pattern here throughout the gospels? This kingdom language is really important to get if we're gonna become disciples. Because when you think about the word kingdom, I want you to understand a kingdom is the range of your effective will. The range, so God has a kingdom. It's the range of his effective will where everything is as he wants it to be. And he put us in a garden and said, now rule this little kingdom. And your body is like a kingdom. It's the range of your effective will. And so therefore, we all have a kingdom to oversee. This is a beautiful thing. Your family is a kingdom. Texas A&M is a, is a kingdom. College Station is a kingdom. Texas is a kingdom, right? It's a kingdom. This is great. This is beautiful. This is the way God made it. Until sin comes in. And when sin comes in, it taints the kingdom. And you soon learn that you do not have enough willpower in your tank to evict that from your kingdom. So people are like, yeah, I'm really good. I got my life together. I figured it all out. And I, I can just kind of make it happen. But then you start digging and you find the relationships are just a bunch of shrapnel. You're like, why didn't you fix that? Well, it's just not my deal. No, you can't evict sin out of your kingdom. You now must come under the lordship of Jesus Christ and step into a different kingdom. I need power to come on me in a different kingdom. This is why for a lot of the prisoners, they actually leave prison after 25 years of being there and they go right back. Because while they were there, maybe they prayed a prayer to the Lord Almighty to come into their life because they didn't want to go to hell and they needed help from the man upstairs but they did not come under a different kingdom. So they got out and went back to their old ways and then they found themselves right back into, right back into the mess. Here's what's interesting. The women who go to the faith dorm, that's not their story. They only have a 2% recidivism rate for those who've been through the faith dorm. Only 2%. The rest of Texas is anywhere from 10 times as much as that or 20 times, depending on the stats you look at, of people who are going back into prison. But the ones who've, got, who've, who've come through, they've said, well, we've stepped into a different kingdom. And it has permeated me. It has transformed me. It's changed every ounce of who I am. As opposed to the other way of this, which basically says, I'm just going to give myself to the minimal requirements needed in order to get to heaven. Again, not a gospel at all, but it's one that's kind of seeped in and permeated at all different levels of who we are. Now, what we're gonna do is bring that up against what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse two. Very famous scripture, I bet a lot of you know it. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So see those two words, do not conform, be transformed. In other words, your nature, my nature, is we are going to just drift towards conforming to what's around us. All of us, that's just who we are. Okay, it, therefore, it's gonna take a counterintuitive intentionality if I'm going to be transformed into his image. You're just naturally gonna live like people around you. You're gonna dress like people around you. Nobody here, you know, it, I, I look around, I'm like, yep, everybody's in bell bottoms because it's the 70s. No, you're not. I mean, do I wanna look like a guy in college? Then just go get some khaki shorts, wear them to about right here, make sure my shirt's untucked, my hat's on backwards, goes back up to that, and my hair's all scraggly, even though I just got a haircut. If I do that, you'll be like, he's in college. <laughs> it, it's not hard to pin it, right? Like Jackson comes and gets all my clothes all the time, and I'm like, I'm so honored. He's like, yeah, retro's in. <laughs> it, it's not hard, it's not hard. 
Therefore, if you're going to look completely different, it's going to take counterintuitive intentionality. I'm going to drift towards conformity. I'm going to need a plan of something that's going to change me from the inside out. If I'm going to be a kingdom man, you're going to be a kingdom woman. Everybody with me here? Now, this is why Dallas Willard, who I mentioned last week, and I've been so impacted by his life, he suggested that the primary crisis of the church today is untransformed people. Pretty big statement, isn't it? Think about that just for a minute. You don't have to agree with it. Totally fine if you don't. But the primary crisis of the church today is untransformed people. Now, I don't have a problem uh, believing this and... uh, understanding this personally, because when I, when I think about kind of life and church life that I've been a part of for a long time, it's, it's interesting that we talk a lot about activities and things we need to do. We don't often stop to ask the question, are people in our churches changing? Because the people who are with Jesus, when they were with him, there was a transformation that was happening. Sometimes slow, sometimes faster, but it was happening. And I begin to realize maybe the problem is not that people in our churches are not changing. Maybe the problem is we're not stopping to ask, why is it people can be in our churches for so long and not change? Because if, if that's happening, if you're like, yeah, I've been to church for like 15 years and kind of the same, we're doing it wrong. Because people who are trying to be with him and learn his teachings and do what he did and make disciples, the, the byproduct of that is gonna be a transformation. And you know this, this is in you. Like, let's just take little Punkin Maya. She's on the front row here, okay? So we love Joel and Nicole and stay with them last night. So Maya's three and a half months, is that right? Around there? So of course, that's what, I, haven't, I haven't seen Maya, I don't know, month and a half or so. And so I was like, so what's Maya doing right now? What's she doing? She was asleep when we got there last night. And so they're like, well, she wakes up in the morning, she's cooing. Joel actually got her to laugh today, she's laughing. And we're like, that's so awesome. Right? We, everybody's just like, oh, so I got up this morning? Why? I've got to see it. I got to see the cooer. I got to see the laugher. She wasn't doing that a month and a half ago. She's now doing that. Are you with me? That, there's, I got to see this. Now, again, that's what a lot of our discipleship looks like oftentimes. It's like sometimes it's really big and sometimes it's like, it's like this, you know, it's just like here. It's just this part. And it's so small. It's like, for some, it's like, yeah, I didn't flip that guy off in traffic today. I'm doing it. I had a pastor actually tell me, hey, I went three weeks without saying the F word and I don't know who to celebrate with. You can't tell your church that, you know? Like, and it's like, yeah, but it's like, it's like it's, it's, we're, you're doing it. Good job, bro, you know? In, in my world, I talked about the anxiety I've, I've actually walked in and I had some situations happen this week and I was like, Lord, I didn't nail it, but I, I experienced more peace this week. There should be like a slow, slow drip of transformation. If I come back in a year, I'm like, so what's Maya doing? They're like, she's cooing and laughing. I'd be like, hmm. Any movement? You know, like moving <laughs> army crawl? No, just cooing and laughing. Eventually we'd be like, hmm. But but someone can go to the library for eight years and then we'll be like, huh? Eh. Cooing and laughing. But a disciple of Jesus, the challenge is high. Now again, it doesn't look radical, it doesn't look enormous all the time. But that's why there's something about us going to this book that was written by disciples about disciples. This is for disciples, right? This is what this is. So again, let's go back to that text that we read a little bit earlier. And we're gonna look at those two verses we read, Luke chapter six, verse 39 and 40, and just kind of uh, take it bit by bit 
and, uh, and, and even give, just, we're just gonna give you some time today to build a discipleship to Jesus plan. Does that sound good? Okay, both of you like it, great. Verse 39, it says, he also told them a parable, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Now, many commentators believe that when he used the word blind, he was throwing an absolute shot at the religious leaders of that day. Because throughout scripture, he calls the Pharisees the blind guides. So it, he, they, we don't know for sure, but the sense is he kind of looked up and said, well, a blind man? Wait, a blind man? They're headed into a pit. This would probably not have been enjoyed by the Pharisees. Now, here's the thing. If you're a Christian and you grew up in church hearing about Pharisees, you hear Pharisees, what kind of comes up? What's the kind of sound that comes up? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just, ugh. <clears throat> now, what if I told you this? What if I told you that between the pages of Malachi and Matthew, that there was a lot of harsh history that happened? including the Greek empire taking over the world. And that one of the ways that Alexander the Great did that was by sending some of his men into every province to enforce and impose his cult, their culture. They would even take Jewish boys and girls and put them into a gymnasium, make them naked and run around and defile them. They would put a big pig, which is an unclean animal, up in the, on their altar and like slaughter it there. They would do everything they could to defile it and a group of people rose up and said, not on my watch. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And a holiness movement arose of people who wanted to be true to the Lord their God. They put some measures in place in order to do that. They did such a good job of that after year after year after year that they became known as the Pharisees. And the ones that we had looked at. But what you know of the Pharisees is these kind of grinchy people. Because what they had done is they had seemingly forgotten the whole reason they existed. And the disciplines became the end. Like they were here to inaugurate the kingdom of God by perfecting moral living. And so all they talk about is, did you keep the Sabbath? Did you go to synagogue? Are you circumcised? Why are you eating that? Like that's the entire, like just do a whole study of the gospels, Pharisees. One, two, three, four. And if you're doing the box, you're doing well. But come, here comes Jesus, not in the box. And now we don't know what to do with this guy because he's not, he's not perfecting the moral living. So a blind man is being, he's, call, he's calling them blind and saying, you're missing the whole point here. And just so you know, we can do the same thing. And we can just have different four boxes that we do. In the church world, like I'm on the board of this church, for 14 years, I've been getting reports about you guys. The first, time, first word I got, I freaked out. I was like, there, because basically you look for four things. Butts, budgets, buildings, and buzz, okay? Are there butts in the seats? Are they giving any money? What are the buildings that have planned right now? And is there any momentum? Okay, this is what you look for. Y'all's numbers were like, <laughs> and I mean, and Tyler's talking and talking and talking and like me and the board are looking at each other. We're like, why do y'all, can y'all not get people to come at all? Like any kind of rhythm? They're like, home game, away game, home game, away game. I was like, oh, oh, wow. <laughs> it's a thing, it's a thing. Baylor doesn't know there's football games. There's just kind of a steady thing in our church. They don't all go home on away games. But we can do the same thing. Butts, budgets, buildings, buzz. Did that transform anybody? Maybe. But 
that becomes our, the way we measure. We all have different things that we're, that we're looking at. Are you good at this? Are you bad at that? Are you good at this? Are you bad at that? And the blind will lead the blind and won't necessarily end up transformed. Now, let's just say I stopped right here and said, we're gonna pray. Mr. Team's gonna come forward. We're all gonna change this week. What would you do? I mean, my guess is that you would walk out here and be like, well, we need to try really, really hard to be different by the next week because Carl's gonna be coming back to see if we're cooing or laughing. Like, we, we have seven days to change. Let's go out there and try really, really hard. So I'm gonna spend the rest of my sermon helping you not do that. Because most of us, that's what we do. We're like, okay, remember I said this to you last week? We were operating off an incorrect mathematical formula. The fact that I'm talking about math in a sermon is enormous. It's, I'm so bad at it. But this is for all you math people, okay? Here's the mathematical formula we live off of in the church, and it's this. I take the information that guy just gave me, put it with my willpower to go try really, really hard, and that's gonna lead me to change. Now, we do need information. It's indispensable. You, we need more willpower. But like I said, you come to that point where you're like, I can't eject this out of my kingdom, I can't make myself a more loving husband. How do I just make myself a more obedient person, a more bold girl? How do I make myself a more peaceful person? In case you're wondering, our goal as a church is not for you to just come and serve and tithe and not fall into sin. Because you can do all of those things and not be chiseled into the image of Jesus and not carry more peace and not walk in more abundant love and not see generosity and courage fill your soul. So are those things necessary? Absolutely. But we've got to do something different besides just his information, my willpower, yay, God, and then get out there and get after it, okay? The will is not actually transformed by your willpower. It's you are going to be transformed by your surrender. And that's just psychology. It just says we are, we are transformed by our surrender first and foremost. That's why if you're ever in AA or something like that, they'll tell you, your willpower is not gonna change you. Your willingness will. Your willpower won't. Let me just even help you here. Just close your eyes for a moment. Because even while I'm talking, this is your opportunity to surrender again. You might even just say something to you, to Jesus, like, you have access to all of me right now. all of me, for, for all of you. Those 30 seconds of surrender, those powerful notes you've taken this morning most likely. So Jesus is gonna say, okay, are you, are you with me now? You don't wanna be blind. You don't wanna lead the blind. You don't wanna go into a pit. And he says some beautiful words in verse 40. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully, what? Trained, will be like his teacher. This is a very interesting scripture, and honestly, it's not one I noticed until last, until last year. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, remember what we said last week? We said a student wants to know the information that their teacher has, but a disciple wants to become who their master is. So this is saying a disciple is going to take training in order to get there. So let me see here. Anybody here play golf? Any golfers? Raise your hand. 
I need you to be bold, okay? Like, like here, okay, like, like, keep your hands up, 10 of you, okay? Great, awesome. Okay, now how many of you in this room could hit in the 80s if you went out right now and played 18 holes of golf? Go for it, hit, you could hit in the 80s. Some of you don't even know what I just said. Raise your hand. I'm seeing about five hands, maybe, maybe, maybe five, okay. Another question for everybody in the room. How many of you could go out and hit in the 80s today if you tried really, really hard? Like, the golfers know, the harder you try, the worse it gets, right? So it doesn't work. Now, God helps some people by going out their first time and they play really well their first time out. So they're like, I am Tiger Woods. And they go back out. This is my brother, Jay's Mark. He did this. And we were out there playing and I'll never forget, he hit like, First five holes, he's like hitting balls anywhere but the fairway. Sixth one, he hits it. Instead of going that way, it went straight that way. And he did one motion, just threw his club as far as he could. <laughs> and I fell on the ground laughing. He was ticked off. And I was like, you, you played this your third time to play. Like your third time and you're like in the US Open in your brain. <laughs> and again, now my son Jackson, he stopped playing from the time he was like seven up till like, you know, a couple years ago. And in the Texas sun, he usually goes out every day of the summer at about 1 p.m. and he goes and plays golf. I call that insanity. But by the end of the summer, he was hitting in the 80s. Not because he tried really hard, because he trained. Black belts, just white belts that keep going. But we do the same thing, but I've been in church for like a year. I tried that life group thing. You know, like I made the jump from... College to young adults, it's just kind of different, it's kind of unique, and it's kind of hard, and I did that for like six months, and it, right? And these guys look at you going, no, a disciple, when he or she is fully trained, not when you go try really hard. Paul must have felt the same thing, because in 1 Corinthians, he says, everyone who peets in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever, now again, we've reduced it down to, are y'all good at quiet times? Who's good at fasting? Nobody. Who, who, who's a good journaler? We don't even know if Jesus journaled, but we're all trying to see if we're good at it or not. Like, if we feel bad, we're, I'm not doing really well. I need to get back to journaling. Jesus, no record of Jesus doing it, but we're all back feeling horrible that we don't journal, right? Because what Christian faith tells us, or our history says, are you good at the disciplines? Listen, you were not supposed to be good at the disciplines. That was never the goal. The disciplines were this pathway to lead you to abundant life. It was like, is all this junk it's like stifling abundant life and love of God and him loving you and your relationship with others? Then, you, then maybe you need to add some of these practices to your life to clean out the pathway. But it was never so we could all sit around and say, today we're going to go around and say, if you are good at scripture memory. We're not going to get to heaven and say, like, start quoting. We'll see. Okay, you're level three. Like, that's not going to happen. Do I believe in scripture memory? Down to my core, but it is a practice that leads me to the life that Jesus has for me. So here's, when I talk about this, you know, when uh, Paul talked to Timothy, he said, train yourself for godliness. How do you define training? John Ortberg, pastor, he defines it as, I arrange my life around those practices that enable me to do with power what I cannot currently do by direct effort. I love this. I arrange my life around those practices that enable me to do with power what I cannot currently do by direct effort. Meaning I'm trying to tie my shoes right now. It's not really easy. 
is gonna be messy. One day it'll be effortless, so I need some practices in my life. So this is where we get really practical. Whoever the guy was that stopped me last week and pointed to this and said, so how do I do it? This is, this is your answer, okay? I would break it down into this right here. Pull out your phones. I would break it down into this next T-chart. Give me the abstinence and engagement. I would start asking the question, how do I experience abundant life in God? Or is there anything about abundant life in God I need? Or is there any sin I need to get rid of? One way you can evaluate this is you can say, there's practices of engagement and there's practices of abstinence. There's things you do and things you don't do. And to make this really simple, is there something in your life you're not seeing that you wanna see? So last week we talked about just contemplating him, being with him. And as you're with him, if you're like, man, I'm just feeling some, I'm just seeing in my life lovelessness. Like I'm not seeing love like I wanna see it. This is what I began to feel back in January. I was like, I just not feel like a loving person. Well, what do I need? Oh, I need training. I need some practice at this. There's no condemnation. I just need to be trained. You probably are a master at that. I'm just not a master at it. So I said, I need to start practicing hospitality. That was a, I, I'm a, it's, a, it's an engagement practice. And I'm gonna do this by a few basic things. One of them was I'm gonna show up at meetings five minutes early to be present to people. If you know me and early, that does not happen. And so this is gonna take a miracle. But it's gonna be, I'm gonna practice showing up early to be, to be there with people so I see love happen in my life. You with me? Or maybe the, the other side. Let's say that your spouse just said, why are you so defensive? You're like, I'm not defensive. Proving you are, right? So <laughs> I am defensive. I need something to help me not be defensive. Try really, really hard isn't gonna work. Again, back to Dallas Willard, I love that one time, he's a brilliant mind. He could just blow everybody out of the water. And he did a Q&A at a college one time and they got this college student got up and cocky, like tried to put him in his place. And the organizer said they were sitting there like, I can't wait to watch what happens. And he said, good word, let's all pray. And he ended the night. And they were like, why did you do that? And he said, I'm practicing not having the last word. In other words, his, his, he practiced silence. Maybe yours would look like this. I'm feeling joyless, so maybe I need to practice celebration. I'm dealing with lust, so maybe I need to practice fasting. Like, why would I do that? Well, because when I fast for several days, I'm training my appetites. You can not get what you feel like you need in the moment and survive. Eventually, I can do this, and I can not get what I need, and I can thrive. So if I'm struggling with lust, you beating yourself over the head isn't gonna get you free. You need training. Now again, if you're taking your discipleship to Jesus seriously, you'd be looking at your life and not fixating on, I need all these things to be in my life and be better at autumn. You'd be saying, I wanna walk with you, Jesus, and there's some life I'm missing. What are practices I need in my life to experience abundant life with you? So as our band plays for a minute, I wanna just give you a quick second to just wait on God and say, is there some abundant life in God I'm missing? Or is there something in my life that keeps tripping me up? Is there an engagement practice I need or a, something I need to abstain from? And you're just gonna briefly begin. This, you're not gonna have time to finish it, but you're gonna begin building your apprenticeship to Jesus' plan and walk out of here free from condemnation. It's not a recital, it's practice. This week is practice. I get to practice walking with my master and training with my master. So let's just wait on him. 
Lord, we wanna be with you. Learn your teachings, do what you did, make disciples. And it's just, as we sit here right now, we wanna be fully trained, not just to know a lot about you, but to embody your spirit. And we can't make ourselves change, but by your spirit, there's practice that we can give ourselves to. Is there, is there any kind of practice plan you have in for my friends this week? We just rebuke condemnation, Lord. Unearth that hunger in us just to look at our lives and wonder. So even right now, just, just speak to us, Lord. Something comes to mind, just write it down in your phone or in your journal. Any practices you need to arrange your life around this week as you are an apprentice of Jesus this week. Take a few more seconds. working there and you want to keep going, that's great. But the rest of us, let's all stand to our feet. And our ministry team is going to come to the front as we sing this, sing this song. And just want you to just bask in this last few moments that we're not declaring this is our 90 minutes of discipleship for the week. We are launching into a week of discipleship, of walking with this one, being fully trained and being with him and listening to his voice and giving ourselves to these practices and just letting our God just kind of reorient us towards him. When we ended our night in the prison, the, late, the last ladies went, they stood and applauded and a, they were ending and a security guard said, wait, one more. And she ran to the front and this officer stood up and she held up this sign, said, I was lost. And then she flipped it over and it said, now I'm found. And an officer along with a lot of inmates stood there realizing we're all the same. We are all in need of a savior, all in need of this Jesus to come and to transform us from the inside out. I just wanna ask for to close your eyes because we all are in need of a gospel that'll come and break down the walls of sin and shame and draw us to him. Lord, for anyone in this room that's never made that declaration, I pray today would be the day that they move 
from spiritual inmate to spiritual free by the gospel of Jesus. And for all of us, we wanna be those who follow you, those who are close to you, as the old Jewish blessing used to say, that we'd be covered in the dust of our rabbi this week and have practices in our life that are orienting our heart to him and experiencing your abundant life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer for anything at all, you can come to the front. Let's wrap up by singing this together.